I've been saying it along, but it's been a joy to be here, and I, I don't say that merely to patronize you. Uh, it really has been a joy, uh, not only for the services, but sometimes just times of fellowship. It was a blast this morning. You made me feel so at home. At home. I got to shovel snow. <clears throat> that was fun. And um, <clears throat> then afterwards, some of us got together over here at the fellowship hall for coffee, and that was fun. Yeah. We, we started swapping stories over there. Uh, I think you should just start a new trend. Just go over there, have coffee, have Sunday school. and I like your idea about this afternoon. One, uh, about every three months we do that at our church. We have the morning service, and then we gather together. <clears throat> the parsonage is our fellowship hall. We just uh, remodeled several things in there, and I, I can seat 30 in my dining room. Uh, which is good because I pastor a church of 30, and then uh, we get bigger than that, we're going to do something else. Uh, then afterwards, we have a, uh, an all-music service. So it's just a lot of, it's just really encouraging. And uh, mostly because <clears throat> we try to encourage each other because nobody in our church can sing. And <clears throat> it, <laughs> oh dear, this is going, the, going on the podcast. I shouldn't have said that. I, I'm not telling them about that podcast. It, uh-uh, we're not going there. <laughs> I see, okay. You know what I was thinking about doing is I was thinking about giving everybody here, asking you to all whip out your cell phones, and I was going to give you my mother-in-law's cell number. And I was going to ask you to just type one simple text, we love Brother Tucker, and bombard her phone with these texts. That would have been fun, but I didn't do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> I'm just going to wait sometime until I go to a youth convention or something where there's a lot of people, and then I'll have, then I'll have them do it. Now, that would be fun. So <clears throat> anyhow, well, again, it's a joy to be here and get acquainted with you. Uh, it's the first time I've ever been down this uh, part of Kansas, and uh, uh, this afternoon, what I'll probably do after the afternoon service, I'll make my way back down to Oklahoma City uh, to be with my wife and my grandkids, son-in-law and daughter. So, God bless you. I, I was just I was thinking about what you have here, and <clears throat> you've got a good thing going. Listen, I before I start preaching, I want to just encourage you. You can do something. Um, my our little church, we're going to start making a big deal out of something every month every single month, special service, something, uh, because I'm convinced my church can grow. As a matter of fact, I know that it can, and <clears throat> I'll never, <clears throat> I told everybody once I'm finished with my education, because it, it took a lot of time to do that these past three years, and I feel, I feel like God has allowed me to be more equipped uh, for a variety of people that are going to come in, and just because you live in a little small town here, does not mean that there are not needs and issues that are way outside the box, okay? Because it's human nature. Uh, it doesn't matter the size. Where, where I come from, 185,000. I, I don't know. Do you have 185 people in this town? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. Um, <clears throat> but I can guarantee you at least 100 of them have issues, if I can make that comparison. And... I started talking to my church about, we're, we're going to do outreach. We're going to start building up. And one, 
one person, because I've had people come out of mega churches that are so dissatisfied with it. I've got a church around the corner, and I mean around the corner. The music is so loud that they give you the orange earplugs to listen to the music. Okay? And people are just getting sick of it, honestly. They're getting sick of it. And so they're inviting their friends, and I'm getting all kinds of Catholic and Baptists and Charismatics and just a whole slew, just all kinds of people. And uh, one, some of those people have said to me right in the service, Pastor, what is it that you want when you're talking about outreach? And here's what I come up with. I, I finally said it like this. I said, I want others to enjoy what we have here. And you know what? Perhaps you would want to ad- adopt that perspective. You want others to enjoy what you have happening here. Because I can already tell that it, there's some health in this congregation. Why do I know that? One, the pastor brags on you. And there are a variety, many of you have bragged on your pastor. And so that tells me that there's some good things relationally that are taking place in this church. I've been in, I've been in enough leadership position and as a pastor long enough to understand uh, when I can come into a church and I sense that there's good relational and spiritual health. And you've got some very good things going here. May God increase your tribe. And I, I mean that. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's going to be chapter 3. The title of this message this morning is The Defining Moment. And I'm going to, I'm going to make an alteration here in the scripture, but I don't think that I'm going to um, abuse it in any manner by substituting two words for one word. Um, but Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there, and I'm not going to read all eight verses. I'm just going to read maybe a couple so that you understand how that I'm making this application with these two words, with the two words defining moment. So what we're going to do is where there is the word time, I'm going to substitute that with the defining moment. Do you understand what I mean? So, and it will sound redundant if I read all eight verses. It will sound too redundant. So let's just try a couple so that you get the emphasis and where we're trying to go with this. <clears throat> to everything, there is a season, a defining moment for every purpose under heaven. A defining moment to be born and a defining moment to die. A defining moment to plant and a defining moment to pluck what is planted. Now, if you were to read down through the other, to the conclusion of those eight verses, do you understand how I've used this word? So let's, let's use that concept this morning, a defining moment. Father, I thank you that we can come together Thank you, dear Lord, for the way that you have blessed and helped and encouraged even in the course of this revival. Thank you for the fellowship of God's people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Brother Morford and his family. And I pray that even now that your Holy Spirit will just come and be with us at this time, cause our hearts to sense the message that you want to convey to us today And then, Lord, give us the wisdom to know how to put it into practice. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. You may be seated. 
I read this story about a group of diplomats who had come together and uh, in the custom of that, there was also a banquet. And so one of the diplomats was from Japan. He was seated at the table with an American diplomat and um, the American diplomat, not wanting it to be awkward, but trying to connect. He looked at the, um, he looked at the Japanese diplomat as the course of soup was being served. And as he tasted it, he looked at that, that Japanese diplomat and he said, likey soupy? <laughs> and the Japanese diplomat, he, he tasted the soup and he just smiled and he nodded. And they tried a little more of the conversation. And in just a moment, he was interrupted. The, the Japanese diplomat's name was called. He walked to the podium. <clears throat> he gave a speech in flawless, perfect English. And when he came back, he sat down, he looked at the, the American diplomat, and he said, likey speechy? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Some things just define the moment, do they not? <laughs> well, I don't know if you've likey speechy this week, but uh, you, you seem to have. Let me just share uh, three <clears throat> biblical examples of what I would call defining moments. One of them is found in Romans chapter 9. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to read it quickly. But it begins at verse number 20. This is what I call a series of defining moments. It says, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the, pow the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? In 1986, when I graduated from what was called, then called Union Bible Academy, one of the things that many Christian schools do is we take a senior trip. And in that year, of course, we took the senior trip. <clears throat> Our high school sponsor was uh, Ralph and Ann Day. She was the high school English teacher. He was the head maintenance man, but he could also drive the coach for the school. So we had all decided we were going to come down to a place, maybe you all have heard about it. It's called Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And at Eureka Springs, Arkansas, we... Um, not too far away, there was, uh, there was a, um, a Bible school that we stayed at. I don't even remember the name of it now. We stayed in their dormitories. We went to, to things like uh, the, the Passion Play and the Shepherd of the Hills. and We just did <clears throat> all kinds of things. We visited Lake Tanicomo, and we just had a great time. But I'll never forget that before we went to watch the Passion of the Play, that outdoor drama depicting the last week of Christ, uh, they had the, what was called the bazaar. And in the bazaar there at that particular time, they had a variety of little shops that were set up trying to replicate and duplicate, reenact some of the biblical setting uh, of Jesus's time. And I'll never forget the one little shop that stood out to me so well because they were, they were interactive. You know, the characters were doing the things, but they were talking to you and explaining it. And that was at the potter's house. I remember going there and I was so intrigued with that as I watched this man sitting there uh, spinning the, the pottery, the potter's wheel. 
And uh, he began to take that. He, he uh, wet his hands. He reached in, took a large lump of clay, uh, put that down as close as he could to the middle of that, that wheel. He's propelling it down below with his foot. Just There was no motor or anything like they'd have the modern conveniences. But he began to explain how that he could mold and shape the clay into the design that was in his mind. And as he's doing so, he first made an indentation in the middle, and then he began to take his hands and form it. And, and it almost looked like the clay was coming to life at the touch of his hands. He kept that going over and over again. He, would, uh, he wasn't satisfied with how it was turning out. He took the piece of clay off. He began to mold it back together, to compress it together, plopped it back down. And as he's working with it, he begins to reform, refashion, reshape it. And all the while, then he would, he would take his finger and he would begin to make ridges. And, and I mean, the clay just, it, 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 it was animated in front of us. It was intriguing. It was fascinating. He said, you know, this is, very, this is actually a very important piece, uh, piece of the process right here on the potter's wheel. He said, but all of this, all of this would be in vain if we don't put it through the fire. We have to retain the shape. We have to retain the work. And in order to do this, we're going to have to fire this in the kiln. And, and he explained all of that to us. I thought, you know, all along through that, there were a series of defining moments. There's the defining moment of going onto the wheel. There's the defining moment of being shaped and fashioned by the master, by the master potter. There's that defining moment when he looks at it and says, no, I'm not satisfied with how this is turning out. Let's start all over again. In some ways in my life, after what I've described to you this week, I felt like, I have felt like at times that the master potter has just simply taken something that was flawed, something that had, um, had a lot of issues, something that had great needs, my own personal life, even as a Christian. And it was like, you know what, let's just start this process all over again. Let's teach, let's teach Tucker some brand new things. Let's put some new definition into his life. And then, and then because the, the master potter is so pleased with the, what he has shaped and formed and fashioned, let's put it through the fire. Let's put it through the fire so that it retains and it holds the shape that the master potter has designed into it. Have you ever felt like, have you felt like at times, Lord, I'm enjoying the process to this point and all of a sudden, no, Lord, not the fire, not the difficulty, not the trial, not the testing of it all. But God says, you know what? If we don't take this through the heat, if we don't take this through the fire, everything that's been done to this point, every process, every defining moment, everything that has put characteristic and definition into your life, it will not be retained and it will not be useful for the future. I'm here to tell you this morning that, that the master potter, he is able to bring that series of defining moments into your life so that when you do pass through the fire, you are going to come out on the other side that is a vessel that is meet for the master's use by the time that he is done with you. Amen. That's what God wants to do for us this morning. He wants to establish some things in us that will just, it's going to last for all of eternity. I was thinking about a little story that I came across 
says it was a genuine antique vase. It was kept on the mantle in the living room as a centerpiece for the decor. One day when the mother returned home, her daughter met her at the door and said, Mother, you know that vase you told us that's been passed down from generation to generation? The mother said, yes. She goes, well, this generation just dropped it. I want to tell you something. Your mom and dad may have dropped the vase. Or there may be other people that are around you. But God is in the business of restoring and restoration and repairing and redefining you through a series of defining moments. Let's go to a second biblical example this morning that might help us. And that is the three Hebrews who go through the furnace. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 30, there's, I think that most of you here probably know the story well enough. I don't know how much I need to reiterate it. But you understand that these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they are there under, under the, the captivity of King Nebuchadnezzar. And you understand there finally comes the day when <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar, he is filled with pride, he is filled with arrogance, he makes a statue of himself, sets it up so where everybody can see it, invites all the government officials. They bring in the, the, the state band and uh, the, the declaration is this. When you hear the sound of the music, and I think it's kind of interesting that in this part of the, this portion of scripture, that have how many times they itemize all the musical instruments. I almost think in there, there's a place where they said banjo. That is the Hebrew word for harp, but I haven't convinced my wife of that. <clears throat> and somewhere in there, they gather all these instruments together. The music begins to play. And lo and behold, the, the, the masses of people that are there, this is no small event. This is a state-sanctioned affair. Everybody falls on their face down to the ground except for three people. And we all know who that is. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And you know, there's always a rat in the crowd. Somebody goes back to King Nebuchadnezzar and says, Hey, you know those Jews, those Jewish teenage boys that we brought up out of Jerusalem? Yes. You know the ones that you really like? Yes. They didn't bow. And so the king, maybe he's wondering, maybe they misunderstood. Maybe they didn't quite get the memo. He brings them before himself and he says, now boys, I like you. I think, I think that they liked him the way I like Rocky. I was talking to Rocky this morning and I told Rocky, I said, Rocky, I said, uh, now you're the kind of guy that I would want with me in a dark alley, but I want you to be on my side. And I could tell he was a little bit confused. I said, because if I met my mother-in-law, I want you to be the point man, go first. And he's scared. He is scared, I, I can tell. So anyhow, Rocky, I kind of think that the king, like these three fellows, the way, <clears throat> let's just put it this way. If I was in the area, Rocky and I would get in trouble together, would we not? I just have this feeling. It's just, it's a discernment that I have. That's one of my spiritual gifts, getting into trouble. And so, but anyhow, Nebuchadnezzar, I, he looks at those fellas and he said, now listen, boys, I really like you. You've been, you've been good. You have been outstanding. Your grades are top notch. You've went through the University of Babylon, U of B, and uh, you've excelled. I mean, look at you, you're handsome fellas. Now, because I like you so well, I'm gonna give you another chance 
When I tell them to, we're going we're gonna to strike up the band again. The music is going to play. And all you have to do right here, boys, make me look good. Just, just make me look good. I've taken good care of you. I've given you the best education. I've given you the best clothes. I've given you the best food. I've given you favor. And uh, you boys are going to go far in life. If you'll just do what I ask you to do, make me look good. And they said, oh, king, we really don't even have to answer you about this. But we want you to understand a few basics. Number one, we will not bow to your gods and your idols. And you know what? The Bible says that the visage of the king, the countenance of the king, it turned against him and he was full of wrath. Because those fellows also explain, listen, we know the decree, we know the edict, we know what you have already said that if we do not bow, we're going to burn. We understand that. And listen, king, if our God saves us, okay. If our God does not save us, okay. But we're not going to bow. And I don't need to have to take it too far to remind you this morning that we're living in such a world where there's going to maybe come a defining moment in our life. It could happen in this lifetime where the powers that be will want us to bow to some things that we cannot bow to. There is no way we can give in to the philosophy and the thinking and the practices of an ungodly world that hates God. We may have to take a stand against it and say, and we may have to look at the authorities and say, listen, if God saves us, wonderful. If he doesn't, Wonderful, we are not bowing to what you are demanding. And if you're not prepared to do that, get along with Jesus and ask him. I don't like the thought of having to do any suffering in any way. But if that time should come, if we should find ourselves in a situation where we have to make that decision, we have come to this defining moment. We will either serve God or we will serve the world. Folks, let it be. Let our testimony radiate. Let our testimony shout it out. We have chosen to do it God's way. And I want to tell you this morning, when you do it God's way, do, what, do it God's way and get God's result. Do it your way, get your result. Go figure. Amen? And we know this story, if, we, if you've read the Bible at all. The king is full of anger. He is full of wrath. He is furious. They have defied him. <clears throat> and he said, fine. Heat it up seven times hotter. And the Bible tells us that they bound up those three young men. It even describes all of their clothing. And the fellows, the men who bound up these three boys to cast them into the fire, those men who are throwing them in, they are killed by the heat of the furnace. Do we understand the seriousness of what's going on here? It's intense. But all of a sudden... The Bible says those boys fell down into the furnace. So it gives me the impression that this is a recessed area and they've been pushed in. And then they begin to realize, wait a minute, we are not burning. Nothing on us is burning except the ropes. I like that little detail in the scripture there. 
nothing on us. Our clothing is not burning. We're not burning. Hey, hey, are you burning? No, no, this, wow. You know, I'm actually getting a tan in here, but this is great. I mean, wow, look at this. And they begin walking around. They're looking at it, it's like, look at this. I mean, everything is engulfed, but they're walking through the fire. And all of a sudden, they, Nebuchadnezzar, he's watching to see how this is all going to turn out. He's expecting to hear them scream in agonizing pain, but they're not screaming. He's expecting to see writhing in them to collapse, but they're, not, they're neither writhing nor are they collapsing. And as he, as he goes to the door of the furnace, he's looking in and he said, hey, wait a minute. Didn't we throw three in their bound? Yes, O king, we did. He says, but I see four of them. They're loosed and they're walking around. Now, scripture says that he called that fourth individual the son of God. It's like unto the son of God. I doubt that actually Nebuchadnezzar even really understood that, but he knew that something greater than himself, something greater than the, the, the flame that was coming up, he knew that someone was in there that had far more power than what was taking place at the moment. And he said, I, I know I see four in there walking around. It's at this point of the story that Nebuchadnezzar gets as close as he can and he yells in there, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He wasn't in question who these boys served. Can I ask you a question? this question? Are people in question about who you serve? If they're in question, you need to define the moment and make up your mind and say, oh no, I, I am God's man, I am God's woman, I am God's teenager, I am God's child, I serve the most high God. There was no question in the mind of a heathen pagan king of who these boys were serving. And he yells out, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out! Now, you know, the Lord knows the perfect timing of Scripture because had I been either Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego, I actually have an ornery streak in me that likes to pull pranks. And I know the Lord did not want this in Scripture, but I'm simply telling you, had I been there, I'm ornery enough, I'd have said, come in and get us! Wish you were here! <laughs> But they didn't. They came walking out. People ran up to them, began to examine them. And it, God had defined the moment. You see, what it was, earlier, these three boys defined the moment for God by not bowing. And when they were passing through the fire, when they were going through the test, God defined the moment for them and said, they're such, a, they're such wonderful examples and testimonies. We're going to let them walk right through this whole thing. And they're going to be a demonstration. They're going to be a display. They're going to be trophies of my power. When we define the moment for God, God defines the moment for us. Amen. The last biblical example I would like to use to illustrate this whole concept about a defining moment is found both in Mark and it's also found in Luke. Luke 8 and Mark 5 about the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. <clears throat> I was, I was thinking about this, of this poor woman who has suffered 
as the Bible says, many things of many physicians for years, and she had spent everything that she owned. And she only grew worse. That's not, that's not a very good progressive medical treatment. Whatever those physicians were doing, it obviously was not working. I, I have great respect for physicians. I've met a few rascals in my life who had some what I call professional pride, and they were arrogant and nobody could tell them anything. But by and large, most of the physicians I've ever encountered, and because of my daughter's lightning strike, we've worked with many, many, many doctors and many nurses, many, a lot of medical staff. But here, <clears throat> here in this situation, this woman, she hears that Jesus is coming through town. And she, she came up with an idea. Mark actually records this. Luke doesn't. But Mark, he records in his gospel... She had had a conversation with herself. She was doing self-talk and she basically came to this conclusion. She said to herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, if I can touch that, I'll probably be healed. And so <clears throat> Jesus being thronged by the multitudes, I mean, people are pressing in from every single direction she somehow or another makes her way through the crowd. I don't know if she's down at the feet of Jesus. I don't know if she's touching the hem of the garment here at, at, his, uh, at his sleeve. I'm not really sure where this is at. But I'm almost wondering, I'm almost wondering in this situation, is she down at the feet of Jesus and the, the crowd is pushing on? She's taking a great risk of being stepped on ran over. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the, um, the, people, the people were a huge hindrance to her. And as she's getting ready to touch, I want to I stop and illustrate something here. I understand what it is to be in a crowd. Several years ago, my wife and I took a group of, of college and high school students to Peru, South America. We went down there to be with a missionary, Ray and Sherry Peak who were part of the Allegheny Wesleyan Methodist Conference, which I was a part of at that particular point. And uh, my team, uh, one day we looked at them, my wife and I uh, said to the Peaks and to the team, listen, Angie and I are just going to take a walk into the village. Now we had gone from the coastal area up into the, 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 the mountains, the Andes Mountains, about 10 hours and uh, we knew that that particular day was market day. Most of those Peruvians, they only come up to about the height of my shoulders. So I'm, I'm head and shoulders above them. And uh, <clears throat> I, that, well, the one reason I did that is because I can see anywhere I want to go because nobody's in the way, you understand. And so <clears throat> my wife and I are walking along, but <clears throat> quite frankly, we're the only two white people that's walking through this Peruvian bazaar market day, and in a matter of moments, and I mean moments, we were surrounded by hundreds of these little midget Peruvians, and they're all looking up at us. We cannot move because they have, they have gathered around us, and they have no intention for us moving. And my wife was feeling very romantic at that moment. And she tucks into me and she goes, honey. 
And I said, whatever you do, babe, do not yell, remember the Alamo, okay? I said, just don't do that. <laughs> Being the Spanish heritage and all, you understand. I had no idea if those people knew that story, but I was not taking chances. There's more of them than there are me. They might be small, but there's a whole lot more of them than there were me. And finally, <clears throat> a man made his way through the crowd and he said, Senor, he said, can I talk to you? And he's very good to English, but he's using a, little, a few of those Spanish words. And I said, yes. Here I found out he was actually an engineer and had studied in the States. He said, Senor, he said, we are wondering. He said, we are wondering what you, and is this your wife? I was, nah, just a lady I picked up along the way, you know, down here in Peru. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I said, yes, sir, it is. And uh, he said, Senor, he said, we want to know why you're here. And I said, well, <clears throat> I said, I came with a group of college students and high school students. We're from the United States. We're over here with this, this Wesleyan Methodist mission. And I told him, I said, do you know where that's at? And he goes, see, see, we do. And I, I said, okay. I said, well, my wife and I just kind of, we wanted to walk through your marketplace today and, and experience, you know, what is here. I said, I've traveled all over the world and uh, we're just here to, to visit you and to get acquainted with people. Now he's interpreting what I'm saying and, and people are like, oh, see, see, uh, oh, okay. And, we're, and I'm feeling a lot better about this whole situation by the moment because remember, we're still surrounded. And he looked at me, he said, Senor, he said, there is a man here from the jungle. He has never seen a white man in his life. Okay. okay, so what are you asking? He goes, Senor, he wants to know if he can touch you. Okay. Not a normal request. I mean, I've done a lot of places, been a lot of, very few people ask if they can touch me. But he had never, ever seen a white. I suppose that really would be a phenomenal thing to see two white people because the Peruvians are very, very dark. And much of them, many of them, their skin is very leathery from being uh, so close to ultraviolet rays and the, the altitudes and everything. And, and that man, all of a sudden, the crowd began to kind of part. And this little Peruvian man who came right out of the Amazon jungle, he, he came up to me with a little bit of fear and trepidation. The engineer, he was going, he's talking to him in Spanish. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You can touch the gringo, you know. Thank the Lord for interpreters. That's all I can tell you. <clears throat> and I'll never forget that that little Amazon man from Peru, he came up and I mean, he just, he wasn't 100% sure about this, but he came up to me and he started to reach out his finger like that. Does anybody, has anybody here caught on that I like to pull pranks? It hit my brain right about that point. <clears throat> I should have thought about it. Now, I, I was, <clears throat> what I was getting ready to do, and actually, well, no, I did it. <clears throat> All of a sudden, I don't know why he went for this section of my body to touch, you know, but right here, maybe there's just a lot more of it. And this, this, this point of my body is the furthest from me, okay? This is my furthermost part in, in, my ge in my personal geography. And he found that point 
he found the coordinates of this spot right about here. And he reaches out his finger and just as he made contact, I went, ah! And everybody jumped. They were saying these things in Spanish. I'm not really sure what they were saying. And then I did the other part and I went, And they're, man, I mean, I have no clue what they're saying, you know. But I heard things like, gringo, 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 like this. And that guy beat a retreat. I don't know. I left a bad impression <laughs> on that Amazonian Peruvian man. My wife went, stop it. And I'm still, I'm still. I said, well, pump me back up. She went, what? I said, pump me back up. I love my wife because sometimes she plays along. She grabbed a hold of my arm and, and she began pumping. And I went, all good. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> the things you do to help, to please people, I'm telling you. But for the woman in our story who needs to touch the hem of the garment of Christ, it's no laughing matter. It's been 12 years of pain. It's been 12 years of disappointment. It's been 12 years of high expectations only to have hope shattered over and over and over and over again. But she comes from behind, not bringing any attention to herself, and she sneaks in and she touches the hem of the master's garment. And it would become the most incredible, defining moment of her life. Sometimes I liken this to when people get saved. Sometimes I make the application here of Christians who have walked with God for a long time and they pray through on an issue that's beyond their personal ability to take care of it. And God comes and he answers prayer. Because God always answers prayer. And she pulls away from the master and all of a sudden the master stops. Because this requires another defining moment. It's time to testify. It's time to declare what God has done. And he goes, who touched me? Do we still understand that God knows when we touch him? Do we understand that? In the place of prayer, when we call out to him in praise or even in pain, God is, a, we serve a God who knows when we touch him. And he is touched. Matter of fact, <clears throat> the Bible says that he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities, our brokenness, our lack of strength. That's what the word infirmities mean. He says, who touched me? And one of the disciples said, Master, the crowd is thronging you. What do you mean, who touched me? He goes, oh no. This was different from everyone else's touch. There was something, he said, because I, I sense, I perceive, I understand, I'm aware that healing virtue went out of my body into that person. And did you know the Bible says that Jesus looked roundabout? And I think what he did, he didn't call her out by name, but I think what happened here, and this is my opinion, I think that his eyes met her eyes. And when Jesus looks at us, 
it's either going to be extremely frightening or it's going to be extremely comforting. It's just going to go, there's just only one of two ways this can go. I think he looks at her with a, a look of love and compassion. And now another defining moment is required. And he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go. What was done? And she begins to tell, I, I was afraid. I wanted to touch you. But this is what happened to me. I love testimony meetings. I love it when I hear God's people testify. They get up and they tell things like, I, God has helped me or he has shown me something out of his word. It's important for us to define the moment sometimes and just simply give God all the praise and God all of the glory. Do you understand here in your church, God has been working on a whole series of defining moments for you? Do you understand that? I've actually asked our, our pianist to come because there's a chorus that I think that will help us, that will seal this truth here at the very last. And the way this little chorus goes, I'm pretty sure most of you would know it. Why don't we just stand? But it goes like this. Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. You'll find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment. This moment. Your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. Saints, I hope I've encouraged you this morning. And I mean that. If you've been walking with God for any length of time, but the battle has been on longer than you care for it to have been on, and the testing has been more than you feel like you can bear, and things have just, life has become heavy and difficult and wearisome, and there's been times where you know in your heart, yes, you love the Lord, but oh, it just feels like so many of those, those <clears throat> emotions of joy and that, that knowledge of joy, just, it just feels like it's been so long, Lord. Is there no reprieve, Father? But I'm here to tell you this morning that there's a defining moment. When you define the moment for God, he's going to define it for you. Whether it's like the woman who needed to touch the hem of his, of his garment, or like three Hebrew young men who went through the fire, or like that piece of pottery that's being fashioned and shaped and molded, there's a defining moment God's going to bring into your life. And when he does, it's going to be so beautiful. Would you, would you help me sing that little chorus this morning? Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. You'll find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. Let's sing it one more time. Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. You'll find he's not too busy 
to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as He passes by. Lord, I thank you. You've come this way. You've come within arm's reach. And I'm thankful that we can touch you if we want to. Lord, I, I believe there's some here this morning that have reached out. Some have been hurting. Some have been sorrowing. Some have questions they don't have answers to. And as you've passed by this morning, they're reaching out to you. Lord, I just ask that this morning that each heart would sense your healing power, whether it's physical need, whether it's a spiritual need, whether it's an emotional need, or whether it's a need that just we just don't know how to define. We just know that there's a, there's a need. We thank you for the message tonight. We ask that, or this morning, we just ask that you'd that you would help to us to hear it over and over again in our hearts. And Lord, when we're going through the defining moments that you give us eyes to see and recognize that we're going through them. And when we're going through the fire, that, that Lord, that you would give us hope, hope that the work that you're doing in us is being completed. Be with us throughout this day, we pray. In your precious name, amen. 